Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Shona Siegel. Jonah here in the press row. Welcome back. In uh, one of the craziest couple of weeks, I can, not more than two weeks, I can remember covering sports media as uh, the end of the Maple Leaf season unfolds. Personnel changes on the executive side with stories being covered by the media, unlike anything I've ever seen. And I wrote it wrote about it, I should say, on my blog. And what I notice more than anything now is how divided the Maple Leaf fan base is. And I wanted to talk about that with someone who's been covering the team extensively for the last couple of years. And uh, his name is David Alter. You know him. He's been on the radio. He's been in print all over the internet. So in today's episode, uh, talking a lot about Maple Leafs coverage of fans, so sit back, relax, and enjoy uh, today's episode of In the Press Row with David Alter from the Hockey News and Sports Illustrated. Welcome back, Believe In the Press Row. Jonah here out in Seattle. A uh, Stanley Cup playoff edition, I guess you could say. It's uh, Sunday morning after game one. I'll admit I was out, didn't get to catch it, but uh, here it was. As expected between two relatively, uh, well, two newcomers to the Stanley Cup playoffs. Stanley Cup finals, I, I, I correct myself, sorry, the uh, the cobweb's still coming off here Sunday morning. I am uh, super excited to have today's guest join us. He has held almost every single reporting gig, I think, known to human in Toronto. Um, no, he's shaking his head but laughing if you can't see him. Uh, he is the reporter and site manager for the hockey news and sports illustrated he is david alter david how are you doing great uh thanks for having me on yeah i laugh at that because it's been quite the road um you know you get into this industry you love it you deal with a lot of stuff because you love it um holding many different titles and bouncing around is not something i ever envisioned i always valued myself as a loyal guy sticking around in one place for a long period of time, but the economics and the opportunities are thus that sometimes you just have to keep changing. And that's also part of evolving and, and um, figuring out your life path through that way. Well, if nothing else, you are a survivor for sure, because, you know, it says something when you've got 20 experiences on your LinkedIn profile and uh, it's messy. No, they're they're all affiliated to something that obviously you have a passion for. So so good for you. Um, you know, it, it's it's incredible. You know, from the score, the fan, the Canadian press, Twitter, AP, uh, in house with with the Leafs themselves, uh, some newspapers, the Athletic, uh, and now you know the Hockey News. Uh, fantastic. How did you get started? We'll, we'll do a little bit of career stuff to begin with. How did you get started in in reporting to begin with? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, I went to Western. I studied uh, actuarial sciences. I was always very good at math. And so that kind of got my path there. Decided, um, you know, I think at year three was probably the worst time to realize you can't handle any more math. 
and uh, didn't want to do that anymore. Uh, but a lot of my time there, I just by by some frosh that was living in my res in my second year, they they were all MIT students, which is the media department. And they asked if I wanted to go check out CHRW, which was a campus radio station there. I said, sure, I'll go sit into it. Didn't think it was my thing because I thought it was always indie music. Found out they had a sports department. Got really excited about that. Before I knew it, I was spending more time there calling varsity sports, football, hockey, some basketball, and uh, turned that demo after I was done school into an internship at the fan. I just emailed Doug Fairway who was the sports director at the time, said, I'll do anything. Here's my stuff. Invited me down for a meeting. Um, it was, it happened faster than I could have thought, although it didn't happen right away. He gave me, he, he said there would be an opening of three months and just stay in touch with them. And then the hard part was getting him to remember who I was. Uh, but that turned into an internship, which turned into a nearly eight year employment at the Fan 590. Uh, doing a bit of everything, starting out as a producer reporter early on, then a reporter, sportscaster, reporter. I pretty much did every event in the city between 2006 and 2011. And then um, there was an opening for a leaf position. Uh, didn't initially get it at first. The person who got it ended up working at MLSC calling games for the Maple Leafs. And now is a play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Sabres. And uh, that's Dan Dunleavy. That turned into the Leaf gig. I got the Leaf gig in September of 2011. Did that for three seasons. And that the fan was my longest tenured position, even still to this day, in any capacity. Um, and my career since then has been more years away from the fan and since at the fan. But the longest I've ever been at anywhere, I think now, has been two years. So it's... Uh, it's interesting how the tides of the sports media landscape have changed dramatically. And to the best of your knowledge, when the gig that you started with at the fan, does that exist? Do those gigs exist for kids anymore? Actually, no. So it's funny because so I run a I run the Toronto version of the the hockey news site, and it's very much structured like a business model. And I was actually in the process of fielding some candidates who were interested in helping out with articles. And so I was talking to them and it's funny. And I, whenever I talk to aspiring sports media students, I have to tell them that my path doesn't exist anymore. Back then they used to allow interns and you could be an intern for as long as you want until there was an opening. So, or at least wait somewhere else and continue to get the reps. Now, anywhere I go, uh, sports, internships are limited to credit school credit at least uh, i believe there was an incident I, I don't know if i'm remembering it correctly but i remember i think it was in 2013 2014 there was an incident at a bell edmonton radio station um and uh, a lawsuit that stemmed from there changed the whole landscape of everything where you couldn't just intern for free anymore and stay as long as you wanted to. You had to be there for paid. And, you know, that is probably the right way, but it also doesn't allow for the same kind of opportunity. So I have some mixed feelings about it because I I did free work for six months, but I knew it was going somewhere and it was valuable to me. And while it was free from a currency standpoint, it had other value. And so, yeah, that path doesn't exist anymore. So we live in a world now where 
students, especially if you're low income, it's worse. You have to pay more to a school and get a tuition, whether it was at a university or in some case, cases, this college of sports media and pay for your opportunity that way. And then even that's when that's done, you have to hope to be remembered enough and the timing has to be aligned that there's a job for you right away. So the path doesn't exist for people like, like it did for me uh, anymore. Now it's really just luck of the time and talent and trying to do your own thing because it's a combination of those three that went out in sports media today. Yeah, it seems, I think things are a little different here in the States. I mean, again, it could be a, a population size thing. Um, but my sense is not that media is necessarily growing because I don't think it is, but I do believe that there is an inv- there still is an investment in internships and opportunities for kids to get into the business. So I was just curious because one of the complaints that I hear a lot doing what I do is that there's not this massive investment. And when you look at the current landscape in, in sports media now, you can see a steady funnel of folks who came out of the Fan 590 on the national or international landscape. Dan Shulman, Elliot Friedman, um, right. you know, Dan Dunleavy. You know, there's people who are littered all across North America in prominent jobs that started at the fan. And you just wonder, is that going to, are we done with that? Because there is no longer uh, a, a playpen, if you will, for, for people to get experience. And it sounds like there isn't, which is unfortunate. Yeah, so I mean that was the draw for me too when I volunteered at CHRW. A lot of those names that you listed, or a couple of them, were CHRW volunteers as well. Uh, Adrian Arsenal was a CHRW volunteer. Uh, in addition, to, um, Kevin Newman was a CHRW volunteer as well. Um, so there were a lot of names that I thought to myself, if I stick to this, work really hard, maybe I can actually craft something into this industry. And so that was part of the draw from when I volunteered. It was for me being at a college radio station to help because it allowed me to get reps in a way that I would just never get anywhere else. And that's the biggest challenge with students today. Like, you know, I know at college sports media, they, they, they do a lot of good role playing and audition kind of stuff and making it look and feels if it's real, but Nothing beats the real thing. Nothing beats getting thrown into the fire with the nerves of adrenaline and all that other stuff. And uh, knowing that there is an audience listening. And uh, the great thing about CHRW in London, Ontario was it had one of the strongest radio frequencies at the time. So you knew people locally were listening too. So there was a, there was a bit of a pressure. There was this adrenaline rush. And so uh, being able to call play-by-play for varsity sports was amazing. It's actually what I wanted to do more than write in anything else. And even when I was at the fan, uh, I would still take Saturdays away to do all the football games for Western because they didn't have a regular person at the time. And uh, even there was a recognition from my boss at the time that knowing that skill in the event they lose the play-by-play guy, is good to have in the system with the reps and stuff. And it was very much exactly what you're talking about, like a developmental kind of situation where now uh, people are kind of picked apart from anything. Like it really is, it's social media following, it's uh, niches, it's personality, it's 
trying to be as forward thinking as you can with the behavior habits of what the next generation is looking for. That's the biggest challenge in advertising, the biggest challenge in media. It's the biggest challenge in, in business because uh, you're trying to stay relevant and current and the, the tastes are changing so rapidly faster than they ever have before. So let's uh, pivot for a second. You've got the rare um, achievement, at least this past season, maybe the last two, of being, I believe, the only member of Maple Leaf Media to attend every game. This season, for sure. Last season as well? Last season as well, and during the 2021 pandemic season, I was the only one who traveled in the Canadian division that wasn't a broadcaster. Um, I did every game except for the ones in Winnipeg because they had other restrictions put in place. But I did go to the other five Canadian teams in addition to Toronto when travel was restricted in 2021. So So it's a lot of games. So you've been, A, it's a lot of games. Yeah. But you're the only one doing it. That That's pretty significant just to to reset pre-pandemic in a normal world whatever the hell that means there are a lot of people that would say they were at maybe not every game but certainly most games yeah yeah i mean there was that that feeling of there if it wasn't a person the outlet for sure would be at everything right yeah, like even somebody, up at even like there was the always somebody start. there Right. Exactly. Uh, I mean, there was a time where the star did stop traveling and it was just change in philosophy and ownership, but they flipped back. I believe post media, even this past up until halfway through this season, not so much in 21, 22, but in 22, 23, they had traveled to everything up until I want to say it was January or February. I can't remember when the mandate came from the company to, to put a halt on everything. I think it was around J spring training. Uh, so that put a halt to everything. Uh, and they didn't even travel to the playoffs, which to me was the craziest thing of all of it. Uh, but yeah, pre pandemic, there was that. I don't know. If, I don't know if behavior habits changed from executives when they saw they can still do certain jobs a certain way without being there. Um, but I've always valued face-to-face time is more important than anything else, no matter what you do in terms of cultivating relationships, um, just giving your readership, your viewership, your listenership, uh, a firsthand account of what, what they didn't see by not being there. What I find interesting about your profession is that as some folks have ridden off into the sunset, I think of uh, Steve Buffery of The Sun, just retired. And you looked at his retirement party. There were people from all outlets there, not just his own. And when I think about your your business, although you're competitors, you spend a lot of time on the road, a lot of time in not just NHL arenas, but practice facilities. And sometimes practice facilities aren't exactly the nicest facilities uh, in the world especially if they're on the road um, and you're in hotels and, you know, different cities and you're road warriors. So you, you spent a lot of time with these people. Um, how weird is it being on the road, you know, 
in some instances by yourself covering a hockey team? In 2021, it was really strange because I really was alone in a lot of ways. Um, you know, with the restrictions being what they were, uh, for me, it was a therapeutic thing. Um, before that gig at the Hockey News in 2021, uh, I was not covering the team. I was doing a job I was overqualified for, and uh, I missed that aspect of it. And so even though we were in lockdown or there were certain situations, you know, I had some people tell me, he's like, well, why are you even bothering? Like everything's available via Zoom and all that other stuff. And, you know, like you can't really go out or whatever. I'm like, well, what am I missing at home? <laughs> like it's right. It was the same thing. Like just the whole, just to have it meant the mental change of scenery and to be back on the beat, I think was big for me. So it was, it was weird uh, being alone, but it was also going from, going and do I wasn't going from doing this and being at home to doing this and being alone on the road. I went from not doing this at all to being back. So I had that extra wave of enthusiasm lifting me to just be back and doing this. And the pandemic, I think, changed a lot of people's lives because it really helped give people a lot of perspective of where they are in their life, where they're going, what they want to be doing. And uh, for me, that was no different. And so it was weird at times going out at places. And it was amazing to see how like different the provinces were about the restrictions. And when we were in Ontario, where it seemed like it was the absolute worst. Um, but uh, it was refreshing just to be out there and see hockey in an arena again. And um, yeah, it was weird without a lot of fans. That was another weird thing. Um, but, um, yeah. And then in 21, 22, when, when fans started coming back and you had your colleagues again, it, it, in a lot of ways, it felt like normal. It felt like just, that was the routine as you pointed out. Hey, uh, someone would be like, Hey, who's on the road? Oh, we'll grab dinner before whatever. You just hang out, grab a drink or whatever. And that became your life on the road. So it, it, it started returning to normal. In 21, 22, except you had yet to figure out the COVID test before coming home. But then 22, 23 was the closest to normal as it was, where you didn't have to worry about the tests anymore. Everything was kind of the same. You didn't, not, you barely saw masks, except for the Leafs. They kind of had the masks in place for scrums in the room until mid January, I believe it was. So uh, other than that, it was starting to feel normal again. It was, it was, it was weird. At the time, but now it's, yeah, now it's just a matter of what the new normal is without as many people and, and stuff traveling and how that's going to be handled going forward. But my, my question was more, it must have, at, at one point, the business was very, although you're competitors, you're on the road with the same people kind of all the time. Right. Now, it sounds like a lot of the times, even without COVID, you're not there with that many people. You're because you're the you know. Well, yes and no. The trip still had people. Like there were there were fewer instances this year where that was the case. Gotcha. So 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 there was one game in Boston where I was the only reporter outside of the broadcast reporter. Um, but for the most part, on the trips that were multi-city, there was someone else. I think maybe the only big trip where there wasn't a lot of people 
uh, at least at the start was maybe the holidays, but that was a, that was a travel restriction. Um, there were a lot of flights canceled to St. Louis the day before and they couldn't reschedule to Phoenix. So it forced a lot of reporters to miss the first two games of the three game road trip to end 2022. But yeah, for a one-off, there were times where it was just myself. But for the big trips, there were multiple people. And when you do every game and it's just a one-off and you're by yourself, you don't mind staying in and just recharging and get everything in. It didn't feel as weird. I mean, it's weird at times when, you know, the resources of certain places, they only have one person to assign. So if that person isn't there, the outlet's not there. And so that's where it can get a little weird. But, you know, once the playoffs hit, everything felt normal again. Um, outside of that, it didn't feel too much different, to be honest with you. So we are now finally in the offseason for the Maple Leafs, if you will. It seems like perhaps some folks like yourself are going to get to take a deep breath for a minute or two. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this this morning. I'm not sure, with the exception of the time they will, the Leafs were contemplating trading Matt Sundin, that the fan base and the media have ever been this divided as they are right now. And social media is certainly much bigger right now than it was back then. Um, but there are certainly camps like there have never been before right now and holy hell, I would say Leaf Nation is way more divided uh, with with a lot more vitriol than anything I've ever seen. You get the same sense? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's a good metaphor for the world. Like, it really is uh, in terms of how the Leafs are divided or Leaf fans are divided in their, in their loyalty and just news outlets and political linings and everything in general in the world today. I think you're seeing... Uh, that same kind of division. And and for me, when I look at some of the social media reaction, a lot of it is, it's not even like I see it. There's no middle ground. There's just an extreme, you hate it or you love it. And, you know, in media, you, you follow stories and middle ground doesn't usually sell as much as extreme does or compelling stories or anything like that. But it's funny because I talked to, I talk to people who are fans of do what Dubis does and they generally lean younger. And I talk to people who aren't fans of Dubis and they're a little bit more old school. And, um, and then people around my age, they're kind of in the middle based on what the results do and, and kind of being a bit of a cooling saucer and just kind of just looking at the facts and, and they'll make their decision and they'll see what's happening and they won't quite get it. Um, but yeah, this is different. I remember those days. Uh, I was working in media at the time. I was only two years in the industry. Uh, and I remember I was actually at Matt Sundin's first game back with the Canucks. Uh, the fan used to send two reporters. So Howard covered the Leafs. And the fan would send another reporter to do the visiting room. And so I got to do the visiting room of that, although when Sundin scored that shootout winner, uh, Howard just came storming down the hall. He's like, you go do the leap room. I'm doing this. I'm like, okay, fine. That's fine. Um, and yeah, it was, uh, I remember the sentiment. Like, uh, And I kind of agreed with some of the people who were upset about Sundin not not moving his uh, 
no trade clause or no move or whatever he had uh, to help the Leafs get some assets at the time. At the time he said it, I didn't blame him. But then, you know, you had to look at his reasoning and and what ended up happening. And and so the initial reasons, and now that you have access to reporters who covered it, it kind of gives you more perspective. Like he specifically told the Leafs at the time or the media at the time that he didn't believe in joining a, joining a team midway through a year. And that was a big reason why he didn't want to do it. Like he didn't want to be like a, a trade deadline acquisition with somewhere who just kind of gets it because to him it's not the same thing. But then in the following year, he joined the Canucks at the very latest possible time you could sign a contract on December 1. And so he missed the first two months of the year, and that kind of contradicted what he was saying. So it's like, what's what's really the truth there? Now, he's allowed to do whatever he wants, but I can understand Lee fans being upset about it because – you know, he said one thing, but then in this situation, he did wait. He did take the time, you know, and then other people who are pro Sunbeam felt, you know, the Leafs put him in an awkward spot. And he was emotionally affected by it, and it took him that much more time to make a decision the following year. And those kind of like what's going on with Dubas right now. So, uh, you know, Dubas said one thing, but then Brandon Shanahan outlined the sequences of events that totally changed everything and in my mind Dubas did what I felt he had the right to do which was he took another job someone was interested he took another job he's totally in the right to do it and so uh, it's funny though because it's really added a whole different kind of drama that I don't think anyone expected especially when you go back to the end of April when the Leafs actually went around this time it's amazing how quick and how the script just flips based on whatever you do. I used to think that if the Leafs won the cup, they'd have 50 years of grace. I don't even know anymore now because of how the instant gratification of society has changed things where people just need to be placated or satiated immediately. And it's created this crazy divide of opinion. So what's amazing to me is that I think what's unfortunate is the how it happened, right? Because go with me here for a second. If the season ends and instead of that press conference that we got, Brendan Shanahan comes out first and he says, I have made the decision to not extend Kyle Dubas. We think he was a fantastic executive, but we've decided that after reviewing the totality of contracts, we've decided to go in a different direction. Right. And that's if he the, said, yeah. So based on the merits, right. I've made an evaluation and we're going to go hire another general manager. We've decided that Kyle Dubas isn't for us. Right. And that that's before Dubas gives his, this, his thing. And he comes out and he says, and so he does the end of season presser. Dubas doesn't get to do his right. Like that's the sequence. If that happens, I think this is a whole different ball game. I think I think so much of what has happened is because Shanahan Dubas came out and said, I'm not so sure I want to be here. I'm gonna think about it. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Oh, and right. by the way, if I don't want to be here, I don't want to go anywhere, right? Because there's all this family stuff and stress. So I'm gonna run away and I'm gonna go think about it, and then I'll talk to Brennan and see if I wanna be here. 
And then Shanahan comes out and says, loved him. He was absolutely the best guy for the gig. But he pulled X, Y, and Z at 11.59. And as a result of that, I decided he was no longer the guy for me. So I've now decided to go in a different way. And it's not on the merits. It's because of what happened in the last five right. to seven days. Right? Like, yeah, I think so much of it. I don't think that's the cause. I think like we can dis- discuss what I think is the cause. And I wrote about it. But I think because of that, there's a little bit of the scorned relationship that if you thought this was the guy, because you said you did, and you were prepared to extend him, and you've said that you were, but you then turfed him for something irrational, if you will, or emotional, that seems to be where they're at. And I think for those reasons, you've got this monumental divide, because there is a huge camp that does say, look, the wonder kid failed. In X number of years, he won one playoff round. That's it. He should have been fired on the merit. And the other side is like, look, you wanted to hire him. Why did you let something like either A, money, or two, emotion prevent you from hiring what you, the guy you wanted to hire? And who did you get, who did you end up with plan B? Right. Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, it hindsight is so easy in that situation. But when Brandon Shanahan is outlining the details of events, you have to know where it's coming from. It's such, it's so uncharacteristic of him to do that, uncharacteristic of the Leafs to do that, that he felt compelled in that situation that he had to give a timeline of events to try and explain the cataclysmic shift of what had transpired. Because it was clear it wasn't based on the merit at this point. I mean, I, we can, no. we can talk, we can talk about that. We know that it's not that, but there is a feeling when you are the president and you have someone underneath and like, I've, I've been a victim of it too, as an employee, that if I piss off my employer, no matter how good I am, no one's bulletproof. Like you have to, you have to toe the line. You have to kind of know. And if you ask for something as an employee, and it's happened to me where I've, I've had to say, I'm not going to allow this, or I don't want this. I want that. I have to understand the ramifications that regardless of if they didn't have a plan or whatever, that I, I could be turf because they just don't like what I said or whatever the case may be. And so it really became an ultimate chess match at that point. And so the only other thing I always wonder is what if the Leafs did actually get to the conference final? Is a deal done or or does the leverage play become even that much more? And so I I don't I will never know, right? It was the 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 big X factor in all of this was the the weird way the season ended too. For them to finally win the round, it was like, okay, you did the bare minimum to to placate people. However, those next three games were awful. Like they were so bad to the point where all the goodwill behind everything wasn't unanimous and destroyed. It was all gone. It was as if it was the same old Leafs after game number three uh, against the Florida Panthers. So it's hard to say you're right. Like the merit is not the reason here. It's, it's, uh, it's the big, it's the big negotiation. It's business. 
And I think that's what a lot of people, especially on social media, refuse to realize. This was all business. It's a sports franchise, so they get emotionally attached to it. But at the end of the day, what transpired here happens in the corporate world all the time, that it was a business decision between a boss and an employee and uh, with a board. The employee with a, with a board and the employee decided it was worth the risk to try and better his situation for himself with everything or go home or do whatever and uh, and then wait for the next opportunity it just so happened that he had a good awareness of what the next opportunity might be and it happened quickly so that's pretty much it so we'll see who wins out in the end but yeah um it, there's there's no question i think it's pretty unanimous with the exception of of some people who are pretty loyal to Dubis and fans of Dubis that this was strictly a business decision in the end and and uh it was not merit based yeah I, I mean to me if you listen to to Shanahan and we agree that there's three sides to every story he says that he approached Dubis after the trade deadline so the trade deadline, the Leafs were in Seattle. So that was the trip to set your timeline. Yep. If if he approaches Dubis, so we're April, is that right? March, April timeframe? Or- actually, sorry, they were in Vancouver for the trade deadline. Seattle, they actually did Seattle in a couple of games in Alberta before going to Vancouver. My point, I, I didn't mean specifically that day. I just, I'm just clarifying it. Just, I, yeah, did, I'm just saying for me because I know they were at the Springsteen yeah. concert. Then they pulled guys off the ice the next day in Seattle. Right. Like that's when they were in Vancouver. Then they came back to Toronto, and that's when the trade for Luke Shen happened. That was the right. the rough time frame. So that's March, late March, early April, roughly ish. The late February, early March. Oh, okay, even earlier. So respectfully, yeah. if if call it early March, they get back to Toronto and Brennan says, okay, the board has finally agreed to give you an extension. How long should that have taken? I mean, seriously. I think it, it can happen as quick as it can Look, if both sides want it. That's my point. So the fact that even if Kyle says, look, great, psyched, can't wait. Here's my agent, get it done. But he didn't. And the fact that it took the night of the playoffs, the last night of the playoffs or whenever he handed them the envelope saying, okay, here's the paperwork on what you did. Like, that's a long time right? for it not to the truth. The truth of the matter is, and I don't know if we'll ever get the whole... We won't. Maybe in, a, maybe in a memoir when he's retired or whatever, we'll get, we'll get that, his side of the story but, and then we can figure out something in the middle. But that, but, gap, but that gap of yeah. time tells you that the deterioration of the relationship was as such that he didn't jump at the opportunity then because he could have said to his agent, effing finally, get the deal done. I want to stay, get this done. Because that's a long time. Right. That's all. So but it could also, but but he's no stranger to knowing what his value is. Oh, for it sure. Just be a, it could just be a matter of trying to get his value. That, and so, so... If it that's wants to point. happen quick, it could happen quick, but I mean, it takes two to tango. So, that's, like, that's, that, that's why that's why I feel so much of this is incomplete without knowing Kyle's side of the story. Like, that's that's the real unfortunate part of this right now. It was very candid in terms of what Brandon Shanahan divulged, 
But until Kyle tells his side of the story, and now that he's moved on, there's no reason for him to tell his side of the story. Yep. Um, it's going to be a long time till we ever find out. Like, I'm only learning things about that, that Sundin thing right. years after of the course. fact. So, so it's just it's one of those things where time is eventually going to be the teller of the truth. So the most interest, the most telling thing to me, is I think you would agree that there's probably a not there's probably not more of a thoughtful there's not there isn't a more thoughtful executive in the game than Kyle Dukas, right? Like he's polished, he's smart, he's thoughtful. There's no way that any words that come out of his mouth aren't reconsidered thought out so he gets up on the dais on in pittsburgh to give his welcoming conversation and look like who knows what happens happened at home None, it's the one part of the story when people tried to tell me what was going on i said i don't want to know i don't care it's family it's personal none of my business so right. you notice that he's added the dubis family now to everything his wife his kids which is his own business so I believe that everything that comes out of his mouth is well rehearsed and planned. There's no mistakes. He did not mention or thank anyone in Toronto when he took the stage. And there is no question that isn't well thought out and planned. I mean, Nick Nurse thanked, you know, the Leaf, the MLSC executives. Uh, lots of people get fired. Bradtree living thank the, the Calgary folks when he's like, it is just the, the normal thing to do. So for Dubis not to do it is very telling to me. I thought so too initially. I still think he could have, if, if you're right. Like, I do think there is a, a personal element to that as well. It, it was it was brought to my attention when I felt that way, uh, that he did tweet out thanking the Leafs already and in his mind, he felt he could have done that already, and so he would just be repeating himself because he he did put out a statement on Twitter. So um, there is that that qualifies that, but I do feel he could have just made one sentence and, and done it. Um, there's no doubt. There's a personal element to it. Look, it sucks. Even if you feel it's your own decision, you know, it, it like as someone who's who's lost a job many times over, it sucks. That's it right. really does. It does. And um, even if you feel you engineered it or whatever, and you felt they wouldn't do it when it actually happens, it's hard not in that moment to feel like it's, it, it, you take it personally a bit because even if you kind of made them say no, like I've been in a situation where I took a job that I didn't necessarily was like jumping at. I was in between jobs and um, it got down to the, the number and I made the number high on purpose, thinking they would for sure say no. And they did it. So I was like, well, OK, we're doing this. Right. So so like it's one of those things where it can go the other way. And I'm thinking to myself, OK, but if they if they say no, I'll feel hurt that I'm not uh -huh. worth this to this yeah. place. So so. Regardless, like you always put your best face forward. You always have that. But there is an element that that goes with that for sure. Like, uh, and you learn from it. And so uh, I truly feel, even though Kyle didn't thank the team or whatever, you know, after his time in, in Pittsburgh's over or if he's still there forever or whatever, I'm sure he'll look back and always say he probably could have handled something differently 
he's still young. Like that happens. And you have to remember that as well, even though he doesn't want to use that as an excuse. And so at some point or another, you'll see he'll handle things differently based on past experiences. That's just the way it always is. My only point was, listen, he can do whatever he wants. I said all along, if you're going to fire the guy or not re-sign him, yeah. you better have a good, strong candidate that you know is going to do better. And it seemed to me that their choice number two was rushed. And and listen, we, we'll talk about this in a second. Tree Living may do a better job, and he may deliver them to the promised land. But I'm still yet to understand that they made this... Given what they said, that they tried to sign him back, this seems like a failed plan. Uh, and in my opinion, whether you put it on Twitter or not, the right thing to do for me is to just get up there. And it's it's, it's every team at the draft getting up there and congratulating the uh, the Stanley Cup winner and thanking the host team. Why? Because right. it's, it's just decorum. And it's not that the words matter. It's just decorum. It's what you do. Um what I find extraordinary is the, the delineation between the coverage of Tree Living in Toronto and Dubis in Pittsburgh. And almost without exception, people writing, covering the stories, people in Toronto seem to be panic, chaos, you know, doom and gloom on Tree Living coming here. And people in, in uh, Pittsburgh are like, you know, the Messiah has arrived, so to speak, right? Like, until I read, I'm not sure if you know this guy, Joe Starkey. Um, Joe Starkey yeah. writes for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And he wrote- Oh, yeah, okay. He writes a phenomenal article. Uh, Is it okay to be underwhelmed by Penguins hire Kyle Dubas? I recommend people read it just because at least somebody there is going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Like, I know everybody's all excited, but he says- um, in his five year, in in Dubas's five years as Leaf GM, his team won a single playoff series. It blew a three two series lead against the Bruins in two thousand nineteen and get, got outscored nine to three in the final two games. Lost to Columbus in the final round in twenty twenty. Blew a three one series lead to Montreal in twenty twenty one, losing Game Seven on home ice. Blew a three two series lead against Tampa last year and lost in five to Florida in the second round this year. Otherwise, the Leafs were playoff juggernauts. <laughs> Like at least somebody saying, he says again. Well, obviously, obviously he's intelligent and well spoken. He seems to care about people. That was clear when he was introduced Thursday in the Penguins' new head of hockey operations. But above that, he isn't Ron Hextall, right? Like, what have you done, right? Like, where's the? And he goes on to even say, you know, the core four are the people that people say in the players that people say in Toronto are the the most important. Dubis inherited. Right. Like his track record on bringing in top talent isn't great when you look at John Tavares. So they're, they're, to me, it was at least refreshing that someone said, wait, wait, on the merits, is this guy worth the presidency at 37, given the track record? Whereas in Toronto, it seems that everybody is anointing Dubas as the Messiah and in Pittsburgh they are. And yet Brad Tree Living is coming in and getting pretty well dumped on. Yeah, well, I mean, so I, I must be like an exception because I didn't necessarily dump on the tree living move. Right. Um, like I understood it as one of those things where, you know, he spoke, he, he did everything uh, an experienced GM is supposed to do on day one, cracked some jokes, uh, made it about the team, uh, 
outlined his priorities, all all things that are pretty much agreeable and unanimous, not anything that, that would be like, wait a minute, you're you're meeting with Austin first, really? Like right. of course. Like like uh that makes sense. Um the real problem is you know, you finally got the tree living and you kind of left that news conference and we're kind of talking on colleagues and we're like, okay, he's here. Like, we don't know. Like the, the, the simple answer is you just don't know yet. And so for everything people are dumping on tree living for here, we don't know yet. Uh, and, and I'm, I guess I'm kind of willing to give him the benefit of the doubt in this particular situation, because to me, it's not him who's, who's on the hot seat. It's Shani right now. Right. Like Shani has now become the focal point next person you have to point to after everything, because in the end, this was his decision. So we think so the guy, right. Well, yes. But like going into this kind of like just going face value with the messaging. Yeah. Remember, Duba said he was yeah. it was his time to think they could have said we agreed to part ways. That's not what happened in this release. That's right. They said they have yeah. decided to move on from whatever anyway so so you take all that stuff and uh you know brad tree living was was in a situation where just listen to what craig conroy said in his uh in his uh, speech as the new gm of calgary and he pointed out one of the biggest flaws which was that they're gonna have to look for guys that want to be there and it's kind of similar to kevin adams in buffalo and when he took over where it's now they're going to prioritize cost certainty and certain and and getting max value. And if that means not going after someone who necessarily wants to be there or not, or is only coming there for the big contract, we're not going to do it. And so maybe free living under those previous set of circumstances where you heard he kind of had to deal with Daryl Sutter and had a lot of his hands tied that maybe a lot of these overpaid contracts are just the Calgary tax, not the tree living tax. Like he comes to Toronto now where maybe he has free reign to be the GM he wants to be. We don't know. I'm hypothesizing. Yeah, no, it can go. It can go bad. It can go good. That to dump on it right away just seems like it's because it's not Dubis, and it didn't matter who it was going to be. You were going to hate. Like maybe if it was Tulski, maybe some of the same Dubis supporters would be like, "Oh well, okay, it's kind of the same guy." And even that wouldn't have been rational either because everybody is different regardless of philosophy. So we, we're just not going to know. And um, in terms of in terms of where this kind of sits, it's going to be weird. Like there's still going to be fallout from the front office of who kind of sticks and who kind of goes between now and July. And that's going to be the next kind of, you know, you, you talked about off the top, this was going to be like, I'm going to be able to relax now. I don't think so. Like I think, there's still stuff that's going to come between now and in July. No, I just meant the season yeah. end. The season ended and it's been extended, right? Even though they're and not it's, playing, it, and it's continue, I still feel like it's going to continue to extend. Oh, because there's so much that has to be done. I just meant there's been yes. a waiting game. We don't know when the next shoe's going to drop. I mean, there's a draft coming up, but that's you know, there's things that are that could happen between now and then. But you're not sitting there waiting every day for. What's going to happen between Dubis and Shanahan? What, what's going to, you know, Dubis is gone. When are they going to name a GM? That's all I meant. Sure. Um, there is no question in my mind that all focus and attention is now on Brendan Shanahan. If this team doesn't advance, whatever that means, and we can all define that differently, 
I find it hard to believe that he's not a year from now himself entering the last year of his contract without an extension. Um, I cannot believe for a second that he gets to hire another GM. And, you know, that, that noose, you know, ask not who the bell tolls, it tolls for thee, right? Because he just got to go through this exercise and his bosses are going to want, you know, playoff money is the real money. That's where the money comes in. And they each have to be taking it very harshly. The fact that their team just can't get it done in the playoffs repeatedly. It's the same story year in and year out. And all three, right. All three of their franchises right now, three out of four. I don't remember how the Argos did last year. Sorry, but they won the great cup. Sorry. So three out of four aren't (laughs) doing so hot. The fourth one that, a lot of people aren't even really quite sure. Did very I well. cover the Argos for a lot of time. Okay. I have a lot of love for Canadian football. So, so, so that's the only reason I know that. So the three big ones where they have a lot of money invested uh, and get a lot of attention aren't doing so hot. Um, I find, you know, the, the who is Kyle going to poach next or first that's going to throw more gasoline on the the divisiveness between the fan base. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, I agree. And that's why I kind of tongue in cheek said, you know, when uh, the reports came out that uh, Mike Babcock was going to be the next head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, I kind of made that joke that who would have thought like three, four weeks ago that the most salacious, most anticipated matchups coming up for the Maple Leafs were going to be against the Penguins and Blue Jackets. Right. And so, so, uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's a it's a weird time now where uh, a lot of the news that Kyle Dubas makes when it comes to who he grabs that was a former Maple Leaf is going to dominate the headline in terms of how he's building a team or if it's different. And the one thing he really couldn't do, like he doesn't have complete free reign. Like Mike Sullivan is there, and Mike Sullivan is entrenched there, so he doesn't even have any sort of input on the head coach for years to come like if there's a struggle and there's a deciding to move on phase maybe but there are still going to be restrictions it's not going to be i could do whatever i want whenever i want always like he still has he's probably going to have to learn how to properly communicate with the board now which is going to be a very new and unique experience for him in terms of pushing for more money trying to acquire whoever they want the fenway sports group has money but I don't think they're just necessarily going to be willing to spend it without justification. So um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see who he grabs and how the Leafs kind of maneuver around that. When Brad Tree Living did speak, I actually asked, "Are you are you planning on bringing someone in, or are you in a holding pattern right, to I bring someone in?" So and so he kind of just answered it with a blank. You know, we'll see. Like, I'm going to try to work with everyone. And, like, in addition to Austin, whatever, going to try to figure that part out. And so I don't think he's necessarily going to be in a move to try and convince people to stay. I think he's just going to be in of the mode of getting to build the relationship. And if they don't believe in him, the person, and they'd rather go with Kyle, then that person can just go ahead and do that. So that's going to be the big decision right now for, for the the Maple Leafs in terms of how they're constructed. Wes Clark is going to run the draft. 
but you know everyone's keeping an eye is west clark gonna gonna jump over and go to pittsburgh once that's over and if that does happen do you really want west clark making those picks and brad tree living's not allowed to be at the draft table so that's a weird element of all of that too so well, they, how many they only have three picks or something right like they don't have a ton of but they have a first rounder though oh, they like do. uh they they do have a first rounder and they're picking 28th it's boston's pick so it's not insignificant. You're right. There aren't a lot of picks, but that first rounder is significant. So um, what they do with that and how they go about that is going to be interesting. And so I got to think that for Living's going to just kind of keep an open dialogue with all the relationships that he has. And if guys go, I don't think they're necessarily going to necessarily um, beg to keep them. I think they're just going to let them do what's best contractually a lot of those guys are are stuck and so if it's not if it's anything that isn't the lateral move i don't think the Leafs are just going to bow to to let kyle davis grab whomever like i think there is going to be that power dynamic as well and that's that's going to be a business thing not necessarily a personal thing there is a drumbeat out there that shanahan and others are pissed that some of those folks have suddenly become very friendly with certain media members and talking out of school where once the organization was leak proof, it's now become Swiss cheese and that they're trying to get rid of some of those folks who are yapping. Can you believe that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there were leaks before like stuff came out, like the contract extension uh, stuff came out before the season started. Right. Like that, that stuff was happening before. Um, I know that's something that was really a big point of pride when Lou Lamorello was around. And then after Lou Lamorello was dismissed as GM, and then he went over to Long Island, uh, you know, they tried their best to kind of keep and stick to that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's the insiders, there's, there's talking to others that also talk to others. And there's other ways of going about and getting that, that I don't think... I don't think they're of the mind where if the person is valuable that because they're talking, they're just going to let them go. Right. Like I, I believe that, you know, maybe they'll just remind, Hey, we've had, if they have a big meeting, Hey, let's just remember what's kept us in good stead was the fact that we're, that nothing leaves the room that should stick around. And it's just like a reminder. Um, if guys do want to go, they're going to go because they're loyal to Kyle or the opportunity is better. You know, the GM spot is open there now, which leaves room for executives that way, which will leave for other people that weren't AGMs to become AGMs and people can kind of move that way. And so, yeah, it's, I'm curious to see how that goes. And I know there was that thought process of hiring people in other departments in Fenway. I don't. I don't think that 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 company is is going to entertain that in in, in their first uh, foray into hockey that they're going to try and muddy the waters. I don't. I don't buy that. All right. Let's just let in. You know, to let you enjoy the last part of your weekend. Let's just sift really quickly to the players' side of things. There is a theory out there that Shanahan has basically handcuffed Tree Living in saying, you know, this leak that, that Chris Johnson had that Shanahan called the core for and said, 
I want you all back. You know, my plan is to run it back. I think that's bunk and BS. Not that I'm not saying what CJ said is bunk and BS. I just think that things being leaked and information out there and what was actually said and what the intention of being said. And also the fact that we live in an age of sports. Talk to DeMar DeRozan, what Messiah Jury told him about coming back. Um, has to be taken into consideration. And I, and I would imagine that to get Brad Tree Living to sign an agreement to come here, one, there had to be a lot of money in two term, but three, he had to have a degree of his own autonomy to make the moves that he would want to make because ultimately he too is going to be judged on advancing beyond winning a series. Uh, and that may involve... And I would imagine the board itself would want a plan for moving on from what hasn't worked. And we all know what hasn't worked. Like it doesn't, it's not rocket science. So do you think his hands are tied? Uh, he is shackled to the Shanna plan, if you will, the core four forever. Or do you think, uh, you know, his job is to come forward himself and say, all right, you've done your due diligence. You've looked under, you know, come back to us and tell us how this team's going to win. I think in an ideal world, the Leafs would be able to weather three of the core four until Tavares' contract is done. Then they could kind of fit it in. The problem right now is the cap is only going up $1 million next year. And you're going to have in that second year, so two seasons from now, you're still going to have that final year of Tavares' cap hit. You're going to have a huge Austin Matthews cap hit. You have Mitch Marner's 10.6 million cap hit. And then you've also got um, William Nylander as well. And if you plan on keeping all four of, around, of them around and he wants nine to 10, I don't see how that math works. Right. Like that's going to be the real tough point. And so there probably will be something where something is presented to them where that money is split off and they can spend it in other ways and, and address the team another way. And I think that that's what tree living qualified when he said, it's not about the core four. Like, I think he was saying while they're important, he also went back and said, this is about what's going to make the team better. And I believe that Shanahan had those calls and said, it's my intention and all those other things. I don't feel he, I don't think you can do that necessarily and say that and not be genuine about it. I just think that the cash is going to rule everything. It's going to be what there is space to do. And so if space dictates that a, a move is nece necessitated, they're going to do it. And so I don't think Shanahan for one second guaranteed you're here for sure, whatever. I think he just made that call, said, look, we're trying to keep this thing going with everything. So I'm calling to, like in his way of just calming calm the waters but but the math is going to rule everything and so we'll see today yesterday's uh yesterday's revelation that the cap is only going to go up a million is not going to help like that's going to be a big problem because yeah the bigger raise might come later but in those transition years i mean you look at the lease cap situation right now it's a bit of a disaster they still have to improve uh, they still have to spend on their goaltending. They may have to buy out a goalie, which might wash that, but not that much. Because if they buy it out, that's $2 million in the cap for the following year. 
even though it's a small cap hit this year. Um, you have your bottom six you start to fill out. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be really tough. But this is where Tree Living's made those decisions before, and the Leafs are banking that his past experience will help them navigate this. And so time will tell. I mean, don't you think that when Tree Living is talking to Austin Matthews, this topic has to come up? I mean, Matthews is going to want to get paid. So. I think that topic is going to come up with Judd Moldaver. I don't think it's going to be broached with Austin at all. Really? I feel like if, if I feel like if if that relationship gets to a point where he tries to bring that up with Austin, it's going to go south. I think I think I take for living at his face value that he's going there just to get to know him to do all that other stuff. And with Judd, who he has a previous relationship with, that's where they'll they'll talk about some of that other stuff and so sorry i don't mean in, i misspoke i didn't mean in this necessarily face-to-face meeting but at some point right. there has to be a discussion that says look because matthews is going to want to get paid someone's going to have to say to him for every dollar that every dollar above our budget for you that we give you we can't give it that that's money that's not going to go to your boys I think that's an awareness. I think that there is an awareness of that. And, you know, they can always counter, well, that's why I'm only asking for 13 and a half and not, and not 16 or 20% or, or what all, what all that other stuff is, right? Like there's ways of them kind of being at that starting point. And then it's just going to be, it's just going to be a lot to deal with. The only other thing really is there is an awareness that no move clauses come, come into effect on July one. And that's going to be, the real complicator of all of this, because if the Leafs want to move on from Mitch, I can't see a scenario where Mitch Marner willingly is like, yeah, okay. Unless it gets really bad here. But I mean, the guy's a born and raised Leaf fan. I don't see a situation. Tavares pretty much made it clear that he's made a commitment. Um, Austin Matthews, that thing comes in. And really what it comes down to is that was a, you know, like I like a lot of what Dubas did, but that was a bad, that was a not a good situation. Like that was unprecedented to go five years. And so that already puts the Matthews starting point at something that's not going to be a great starting point. And so that's what Tree Living is going to have to try and be there and do is be the different face in all of that. And I have to think when Shanahan was making all those decisions and whatever, you know, part of, that decision was like, well, if there is a new face, that might help those things. And that might have helped justify his move, the moves that he made. Who knows? So what's your bold prediction on Matthews? Does he sign? Yeah, I think Matthews is going to probably sign some other four to six year deal uh, of some kind. And the cap hit's going to be high. And then if they have to move on, from either Martin or Nylander, I think that's probably what's going to happen. I don't know if that happens this year or the year after, but my my sense is that unless that number is is lower than anyone expected, I don't see a situation where you keep all four guys uh, with the cap being what it is. The cap should go up huge the following year, but it's it's yeah, it's it's not going to be easy for Toronto, and unfortunately for them. The pandemic put them at a terrible starting point for right. all of this. Right. Awesome. Well, it's been great to uh, have you on. We will do it again, I hope, when uh, 
things get more exciting. Hard to believe we can say that because it's been the craziest two, three weeks I can ever remember with the hits just yeah. kept coming. Um, yeah. I remember after I was exhausting traveling for every game was this past year, just thinking to myself, okay, maybe I'll relax. And then the Dubas stuff happened. I'm like, all right, uh, there's going to be, there's going to be fallout for a while. So just meditate more and get your rest that way. Well, I think, you know, I thought we were, we were going to be, had entered a bit of a quiet zone between now and the draft. And then the Babcock news hit yesterday. I'm like, oh, there we go. And of course there was the, they can't hire him now because he's still employed by the Leafs till the end of the month. So there's a little bit of vinegar on the wound. To talk yeah, about. well, that's, yeah, well, I mean, it's funny because I guess it's the, the starting point of the contract, right? Like everything about that was, I remember when he interviewed for the job in 2020 for the Capitals and the reports out there were that um, the Leafs weren't just going to let anyone have him as a coach at a discount. You know, he set that precedent right. setting $6.25 million deal doesn't mean they're going to be on the books for that. Right. So, so I think a lot of that is, okay, whatever you agree to them, we're, we're just going to wait until like you can, you have permission to speak, but we're not going to offset any of the costs for you. Right. So, so that's, that's really what that comes so down to. So it suggests that he's not getting 6 million bucks again. I'm certain he will not. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for doing this, David. It's been great seeing you. We will be, uh, watching you and listening to you as uh, things develop over the coming weeks. It's June 4th. Suggest that it's going to be uh, an interesting month with more and more developments coming. Um, everybody else, thanks for listening. See you next time in the press row. Today's episode of In the Press Row. Hope you enjoyed it. Lots of leaf talk, lots going on. If you want to appear in the press row, or you want to advertise on the press row, send me a note on Twitter. My DMs are always open. You can reach me on Twitter at YYZ Sports Media. You can send me an email to Jonah at YYZ Sports Media. Follow us on all the various sports media channels and all of the social media channels. And you can subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast, including here on YouTube. Till next time, thanks for listening.
it's it's disheartening because the alternative I see at the I went to go see a movie the other day. Yes, I'm the one. Um, <laughs> I told you I watch everything. Every single preview yeah. was for a superhero movie. It was well, so depressing. That is that is a big uh, shift in the the movie business that that's been going on for several years, and it was both exacerbated and accelerated by COVID. The movie studios in this day and age are pretty much about the tentpole picture. That right. that that mid level. Uh, when I say level, I'm talking about budget. Romantic comedy with say Reese Witherspoon and Paul Rudd. The, those days are gone. That that goes that will show up on, on on streaming. And by the way, to your point about the increase, uh, like the golden age of, of, of TV, peak TV, whatever you want to call it, there's been a migration of, of in, some incredible talent, both in front of the camera, behind the camera, to television precisely because uh, the movie business ha has, has contracted. I always give the example of Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman went from movie star Nicole Kidman to TV star Nicole Kidman. She's been in several successful series. She has been... Whoever, whether it's her, I'm sure it's her and her her representatives have very strategically and smartly carved out a a, a presence in the television world for her. The I think the last time I, I I I you know it's interesting what you said. We my wife and I said let's go to the theater. We haven't been to the theater in eight, I think the last movie we saw was Top Gun, which by the way loved it. So we haven't been and to the and, and, and you have to see it in the theater. But go on. Yeah. Anyway. So the other night, my wife said, let's go to the movies. And we looked and said, what's playing? Oh, let's go see Air. Love, it's gotten good Fantastic. reviews. Love the subject matter. And I'm not kidding you. We were getting ready. We were getting dressed to leave. My daughter happened to be at the house and said, oh, you know, it's on Amazon. Right. And, and we, uh, it's funny. My wife said, I actually feel bad for the movie theater. Exactly. Right? There, was, there was 30 bucks that they lost. And we ended up put, staying in our sweatpants, watching the movie, enjoying it thoroughly. But that's a, that's a shift. And so, uh, you know, Air is the kind of movie I don't know how it did in the in in, in the theaters, but that movie, uh, you know, statistically, most of the movies like that are not going to be in the theaters. It's going to be Spider Man, the seventeenth Spider Man, the forty third X Men, and uh, whoever's left in the Marvel universe. So for better or worse, by the way, because those so, movies are good and they draw fans. So I saw it in, uh, I saw it in the theater before it hit, before it hit Prime. Yeah, it did uh, fourteen million its opening weekend. I'm just looking it up for you. Okay. Did fifty two million gross. Okay. Worldwide, it did. Uh, oh, here we go. 90 million worldwide. I don't know what it costs to make it, but yeah, I mean, that's the problem, right? Is that yeah. I understand moving it over after a month, but why do you move it over so damn quick? Uh, I, Amazon actually might've been the studio. I don't know who the studio was. And th then you're getting to all the, the nitty gritty of the business parts. Like what was Ben Affleck's salary? Right. What was Matt Damon's salary? Were they working for scale? Did they take their full salary? Did they waive their points? Um, but this, but, but the movie business, um, I mean, it's interesting the, with the strike, you hear mostly about the, the issues around television writers. I got news for you. The movie writers, screenwriters have a whole other set of issues and they are just as valid 
uh, and and as serious as, as the writer as the issues for TV writers. Uh, and so that it, it, this is an industry. Every industry is going through upheaval. There's there's no denying that. And it's funny. I was I was with my uh, college slash university roommates right before COVID. We had a little mini reunion weekend with uh, the our group and our sister group. Uh, it was really lovely. Uh, but one of the themes I was it really surprised me, and it probably shouldn't have surprised me, was everybody was talking about the upheaval in in their industry and what they do. Medicine, finance. One of my college roommates is, is it works at he's one of the fund managers of Fidelity. Education, lobbying, everybody to a man and a woman was going on uh, about the upheaval and the changes. You know, cultural changes, technology changes. You know, and and so it, on the one hand, I thought this is great. I'm not an island. I'm glad everybody's going through the same uh, distress I am. The difference in my industry is it's everybody knows my industry. Everybody reads about it on the front page of the LA Times, the Seattle Post, whatever it is. So, and everybody is, you're part of the things that are causing me heartburn because of the way you watch. And so that is, that, that is the difference, but we are all living in this time of upheaval and COVID is, was both an accelerant and a metaphor for the times we're living in. And we're trying to adjust and we're, we're trying to adjust in a way that we hope is equitable uh, and, and a way that we can sustain a career a, a, and make a living while also making these companies money. We're not naive about that. Do you have time for two quick questions? I'm here. I got nothing. I'm here until 9 a.m. tomorrow when I'm back on the, the picket line. <laughs> All right. So two, so two quick questions. I think, a, I think a hard one and an easy one. Okay. The hard one. Before the strike came, I think this would have been an easier question, but here we are. I think part of the problem that network television has suffered so much recently at the hands of streaming. And before that, whoever changed the name from HBO Max to now Max should be shot, but that's a discussion <laughs> for the next time you visit. But is lack of adult content on network TV, nudity, language, etc. Ever is a very long time. Do you think that'll ever change on network TV? Uh, I am no expert. I would guess that the answer is no, it won't change. First of all, let, let me let me just pause for a second and say, uh, I want to say something in defense of network TV, which is even though streaming is you know, streaming shows are the shiny object, you know, your Bridgertons, your Squid Games, et cetera, the, the shows on, on net, network TV are, are still very high quality. Obviously, a lot of them are not high quality and most shows get canceled, but Grey's Anatomy has run for 20 years. Yeah. NCIS has run for 20. It, it may not be your cup of tea, but a show like NCIS has a loyal audience. It's a well-done show. The, the stories are great. The characters are compelling. People keep tuning in. Uh, Network TV has given us recently, This Is Us. It's given us The Good Doctor. Um, those the, the FBI, um, the FBI franchise on uh, on on CBS again, well done shows, hundred percent, well written, and so network TV, and yet uh, network TV still is producing or uh, offering very good shows. Um, however, network TV has to operate within parameters, and the parameters you know they are public airwaves, they are regulated by the FCC. So yes, 
no swearing, no nudity, no, no cigarettes. And of course, you have the other thing um, about uh, when I wrote, uh, I wrote an episode of The Good Wife about head injuries in hockey. And, you know, Robert and Michelle King were always keen on making things authentic. They wanted, the audiences are smart. They can see through like the fake names. So we, we, we were told by CBS Legal that you, not only can you not say the NHL, you have to come up with a fictional name and you have to say it something like two times in the first three minutes of the, whatever it was, like six times. We have to say, so we came up with this like the Allied Professional Hockey League, that, 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 right? And so if you're a hockey aficionado, like you and I, as you and I are, it, okay, you know, it's the NHL without being the NFL and it sounds goofy, but that's, that's network TV. Those are the parameters you're operating uh, within. And the public airwaves belong to the public. And so the, the counter argument is, we, this is what we offer, or these are the kind of shows. If you want adult, you can go watch on streaming. And also, uh, this is why the legacy companies, the same company that owns CBS, owns Paramount Plus. The same company that owns NBC owns Peacock. The legacy companies are trying, like, really, they are they are redirecting their resources to streaming. Even they see streaming as the future. And I, another, you know, I talked about um, a watershed event of, of, of you know, the Netflix um, with that subscriber uh, report, that anticipated report. Another watershed uh, event in the history of the entertainment business. And this is something, Jonah, you actually indirectly alluded to when you were talking about reality and sports is when Rupert Murdoch sold Fox, the Fox studio to Disney. What did he keep? He kept the Fox network, Fox news and the newspapers. He got rid of everything. He got rid of 20th Century Fox Film Studio, 20th Century Fox TV Studio, the studio of The Simpsons. He got rid of FX. He got rid of all, the, but he kept the Fox network. And so one of the questions, and I've actually sold a couple of pilots to Fox in the last couple of years, and they're terrific people. But one of the questions the creatives ask is, what is Fox? What is Fox going to be? What is Rupert going to do with Fox? And maybe he is thinking of stepping back from scripted. You know, you've got Family Guy, Simpsons, you know, they've been there forever. The, the 911 shows are terrific. They're, you know, they're, they're at the, they're mm -hmm. getting on a little bit. Are they going to keep producing scripted shows or are they just going to do reality and sports? So that speaks to your question of with, you know, was it a whence or whether mm. network television? All right. Now the easy one. Okay. To, to finish us off. What's great that you're watching right now? Uh, my, I am still in COVID watching mode. And so uh, I, I would categorize uh, two types of shows Show number show type number one or one is the show that goes down easy. I, I I I can't watch teens cutting themselves as good as the shows are. I've been watching um, so in that category, only murders in the building, Cobra Kai, love it. I've also been watching the shows out of Europe. Uh, I love Call My Agent. I love Money Heist. I really enjoy Squid Game, and the the, the I, I just discovered Fauda. All these Fantastic. years later, I love Fauda. It is so damn good. So th th those are the, the shows, I'm, and they're just. The, and by the way, as a creator here, I am learning from some of those European shows. They do things differently. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure to watch. So I just finished The Diplomat with Carrie Russell. That's on our list. It's fantastic. She is good, yeah. fantastic. By the way, created by uh, I think it's Deborah Khan, who came out of West Wing. She came huh. out of broadcast television. Trained, written, yeah, I, I trained, uh, grew up in that system, and here she is delivering a a, uh, a premier streaming show. 
It's terrific. And there's a new version of um, Fauda. Sorry, there's a new show from the makers of Fauda called Something in Berlin on Showtime that I started last night. It's very good. I'll have to watch that, yeah. Leonard, I'm a little bit behind. <laughs> I uh, really appreciate you taking some time. This has been fantastic. Uh, you've seen his work all over network TV. I'm sure we will see it again once he solves the strike and gets off the picket line. And uh, we can't wait to have you back again once that is. And you can tell us what you're working on next because we're sure to love it. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Awesome. Thank you for listening to today's episode in the press row. As always, if you want to appear as a guest or if you want to advertise or just drop me a line, you can shoot me an email at Jonah at YYZsportsmedia.com, at Twitter at YYZsportsmedia. My DMs are always open. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.